Welcome to my favorite podcast with Noah Marger. August in Kansas City, it's hotter than two rats in a fucking wool sock. Um, that is Ichiro's favorite American expression. Ichiro was the famous Japanese uh, baseball player who came over to the Seattle Mariners, won Rookie of the Year, and AL MVP in his first season. I have no fucking idea how to start these shows ever. I literally have no idea, and this is the fifth episode. Uh, so you can if, probably just say, hey, or like, you know, <laughs> listen, I will introduce you in just one second. You okay, can just right. sit right there, my friend. God. But I have no fucking idea how to introduce this fucking show. Every single show I've said something different. So if you like that, s- tell me. But I don't I guess I'm just going to keep doing it for the time being. But not the point. Uh, wait, ladies and gentlemen and folks, non-binary folks, whatever you identify as. Welcome back to My Favorite Podcast. I am, of course, Noah Marger, your host for the show this evening. We're doing a little bit of a late night record. I don't get to do some of these anymore. I'm not going to tell you what time it is uh, because it's none of your business. But this is after hours, baby. The lights are off in the store and the toys can can play, baby. The toys are out. It's Toy Story. What's that? I said I will introduce you in just one fucking second. So... If you really have something to say, I guess go for it. But what what is it? What's up? I just uh, this is just already such a wild wild ride. <laughs> it, yeah, it sucks for me too. So don't worry. I know if it sucks for you, you have no idea how much this sucks. Let me get, for let me me. get my seatbelt buckled first. <laughs> so uh, as you've just heard, uh, I have another guest this week, and I say it every week, but it's the truth. I have a very special guest with me this week. Uh, no joking around here, ladies and gentlemen. I have known. This guest that I have with me today for a decade. I've known this guest for 10 years. I met him in middle school. We were in Lynn Chapman's English class, correct? Uh, I think that is correct, yeah. Yeah, Lynn Chapman's English class in seventh grade. Um, And there's just like, there's people you meet uh, like when you're in school. Uh, And this he was a new student at the time at this school in seventh grade. And I just remember it was one of those situations where like, it was like, wow, this guy is actually good at everything that he does. Like, it was like, it was like that. I couldn't believe that he was like as good at everything that he was as good at. There's things that aren't even on this laundry list that I'm about to list off um, that don't make the list because I don't think you fucking play trumpet anymore, do you? (laughs) Because you, or do you play trumpet still? No, I, I, I wouldn't play trumpet if I could. I thought you did though in band. I did. No, I did for a second and then I had a, gd jaw surgery oh that's right that's right my bad but at one point this man did play trumpet but that's not even on the list ladies and gentlemen you know him as a magician a cardist he's also a graphic designer and musician who ladies and gentlemen we he made the intro and outro music for this very podcast that you of course have heard the last four episodes of every single episode he made 
the intro and outro music for that. And if I may say so myself, the best part of every show is the intro and outro music, the outro specifically for most people, because that's when they know the show is over and they can stop listening. But uh, not only is he that, he also made the, the show art. Uh, for the show so every time you click on the podcast you're looking at a creation of his and he probably doesn't want me to say it but at one point in his life he was a parkour master could have been the guide for the assassin's creed games you know him of course by his moniker on instagram but ladies and gentlemen i have the real deal holyfield with me right now please welcome to the podcast sean ulashin sean hey what it's um (coughs) how i do that was actually that was um I told you you gotta let me get my seatbelt buckled here, but that was one heck of a wild ride. That was awesome. Yeah, man. Well, I don't think anyone's ever in- introduced me like that or introduced me. Um, this is your <laughs> so first ever great. introduction. I popped your introduction cherry of that caliber. Yeah, that's for sure. How are you doing, man? What's up? <laughs> I'm good, man. You know what? It's weird times, and it's even you know, yep. we're just trying to we're just trying to manage here. Uh, I've gotten really used to working from home and. I, you know, it proves that I can work from home, so I don't ever want to go back to work again. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> if kidding. this continue, you know, if things continue like they are, buddy, you might never have to go back to work again. Well, yes, uh, you know, fingers crossed. But yeah, I'm doing good. Um, things are, things are looking good on this end. <laughs> oh, uh, for the folks at home, uh, nope, no, no video feed on this podcast. But Sean just gave me the most epic smile I've gotten <laughs> in. That's the most I've ever felt the warmth of a human being during COVID and during lockdown. That's awesome. So, well, geez, I'm so glad. No, I legit, like when, when people ask me how I'm doing, I literally could not name one single bad thing that's going on in my life right now. <laughs> that's interesting because for all that's going on out on the outside, you're doing pretty good. That's awesome. Yeah. To hear. Yeah. I mean like the worst thing that happens during my week is like, I get gassy sometimes, but that's <laughs> everything else is like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm kind of living it up over here. Hell yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, your roommate would argue otherwise. He would say that's, you know, the worst, <laughs> the worst we- aspect of the week. But I, I, you know, I think, I think from, you know, between the two of you, you saying, you know, nothing could be going wrong, him saying that nothing could be going right. There's a happy medium in there somewhere. Exactly. Right? Yeah. There's Where- somewhere in the middle. Yeah. So that's awesome. Well, thank you for being here with me, man. Uh, I appreciate it. You, uh, you were like one of the, like, like I've said, you know, you're one of the first people that came to mind when I had this show, uh, ideas sprout into my head. And so n- number one, pub- I've said this to you before, but publicly, thank you for the show art. Thank oh, you for the show music, the intro and outro music. It literally, I sent, I sent you those screenshots, but a couple uh, loyal listeners of the show, Jack Freiberger, shout out to Jack Freiberger, and shout out to the other Jack, Jack Belial, both reached out to me and said, how did you make that intro? That intro is amazing. <laughs> well, first of all, one of Jack Belial said, how did you get SpongeBob to do that? That's what Jack Belial said. Right. Uh, and then Jack Freiberger said, uh, this is the best intro to a podcast I've ever heard in my entire life. Wow. So oh, wow. high praise. Yeah. Yeah. I had, to, I had to pull a lot of strings to get the SpongeBob voice there. Um, didn't think that I'd pull that one off, but just kidding. There's a, there's a website that. Does <laughs> <it for you. laughs> uh, yep. Just ki- everyone. He was just joking around. He doesn't actually know SpongeBob. Uh, don't think that he does. Uh, yeah. No worries on that one. But well, I'm, I'm glad, you know, I'm really, I was telling uh, my girlfriend, Lexi, uh, that day that I was working on your artwork and the songs and stuff, I was just like so stoked. And I told her all about you and everything and how we met and everything. And it's, I didn't even consider the fact that we've known each other for 10 years, but uh, it makes me so happy to help 
you know, someone who I've known so long who is continually doing like creative, th- you've always done like outside the box thinking stuff like uh, oh, those, the video montages and stuff. So it's really great that you continue to do that. And, um, you know, into like real adulthood, like that's still a, a trait that you have. And I love that. So of course I'm going to help. Well, thank you very much. Uh, that's very kind. Uh, Sean, you want to actually get this show rocking and rolling? You want to actually get into the to the nitty gritty here? Please, yeah. So I asked you off mic like I do all my guests, but I'm going to ask you. It's Noe's question. A quick question. You're a magician and a cardist. Yes. First and foremost, I would think. And so I wanted to know, you can take this one of two ways. Maybe the part A and part B. Maybe it's the same answer. Maybe it's not. Sure. Um, I want to know what to you was the most challenging trick or most challenging card thing that you have ever done. And then sure. maybe it's the same. Maybe it's the same answer. But what was the most, I guess, satisfying moment in your magic career to this Gosh. point? I mean, there's so, you know, my entire life is around a deck of cards because I'm an only child. And what the heck is, you know, what am I going to do? Right, right, right. Do, you know anyway uh, i was in new york in 2018 with my friend john stessel and uh shout out to john shout out john and we rented this really sweet airbnb um it was in brooklyn and the owner of the airbnb it was like a big apartment um was super cool and they're like yeah we're like the only people in this building because for whatever reason no one else lived in this weird building but it was like a really nice it was in williamsburg um shout out williamsburg but she was like yeah you guys can get on the roof if you want oh, and i was no. like Oh my God. Okay, cool. So we, you know, we go up to the roof and we're just in the middle of the city of, of Brooklyn and we can see the, um, Williamsburg bridge and we can see Manhattan across the river and it was really beautiful. So, uh, my friend John is, is like me, but New York version, he just Hell does yeah. a bunch of videos for magic and cardistry. So, um, but, you know, he's like a brother to me. So we, that trip was all about making videos. So we go, Hey, what's, you know, what can we do with this roof? And I go, <laughs> I go, what if I sit on the edge and do cardistry and you film it? And he was like, uh, okay, sure. So sure enough, you know, we're, we're like a good 12 stories off the ground. Right. And it I was didn't just even, thinking that. I didn't even consider like, I mean, I, I was like, yeah, this is dangerous, but I didn't even think, no, I shouldn't do this because <laughs> I was like, I could probably get so many likes on Instagram for this. Damn. That's where the brain went first, baby. <laughs> Not actually, but, um, that was, I mean, you know, I was doing, I was trying to think of something that no one's ever seen with cardistry before. And I guess, I guess I should explain what cardistry is for um everybody who is listening <laughs> yeah no please what so what is cardistry that's a good that's a good point what what yeah. how, how does it differentiate from magic and then what are the like defining traits of uh, sure. cardistry right so you know magic i guess specifically close up card magic is exactly that it's it's ma- it's card tricks essentially it's right. it's the same card tricks that your dad does it's it's the card tricks that you know Copperfield will do on on stage with a camera pointed on him. Sure. Close up magic is with cards is just that is sleight of hand with cards. So, um, you know, back in the early days of magic, I can't, I don't even can't even give you a date, but like magicians would do uh, flourishes to give their magic, you know, quote unquote credibility, like to show that they're sure. really good with a deck of cards. You know, so the fans and springs and you know throw throw you know one handed cuts and stuff. Um, and then at some point in the nineties people started taking it more seriously in terms of like Vegas dealers would start coming up with techniques to cut and shuffle cards with one hand or, or do serious packet cuts. Um, and then early 2000s, 2010s, 
it started becoming more of a its own thing. So, you know, I obviously started with card magic when I was eight years old and then got into YouTube uh, at a very young age because my parents both work in IT and at any given point there's 13 working computers around the house. And that's <laughs> not a joke. That's literally that's literally how it was. So I got a computer when I was like five. Hell yeah. Um, and so I got on YouTube and I remember around 2010, 2011, I started seeing these videos and I would, you know, I would consume a bunch of magic videos all day and night on right. YouTube. So I started seeing these videos of these kids doing um, just playing card flourishes. No sleight of hand, no tricks. It was literally just, um, it's like juggling with cards. If, you know, that point paints a picture for someone who's never seen it. It's really like um, just juggling multiple balls. It's, it, it feels the same to watch. You, there's just like packets moving around each other. You've probably seen it in uh, TV shows or movies like Now You See Me or sure. any other modern form of media now. But well, In a back- lot of ways, it like is in integrated within to a routine, right? Like you'll put sure. flourishes in a routine. So you might not even know that you're watching cardistry at work, but you actually are, whether you know it or not. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, too, is I started seeing these videos with, that was just cardistry. And I was like, well, what, where's the trick? What, you know, why right. am I watching this? And it ended up being really cool. And I was like, well, I just, I got to do that. Um, so yeah, I, that's sort of when it started. I started sort of shifting my focus more to learning just, you know, cool things you can do with cards. And, and that coupled with my love for film and photo, um, just led me to start creating content all around cardistry and magic and, and sort of building an audience around that. So anyway, that's basically what cardistry is. There's a big whole community around it now. Um, uh, it's called Cardistry Con is our is our yearly event that we have um, kids from around the world who have been doing it for a week uh, to like 20 years will come and for a weekend just to one place and, and um, just share with each other the art. And well, there's like keynote talks and I've spoken at I've had the great fortune of being able to speak at a couple of them. And it's just a really wonderful community. Just uh, my favorite thing that I love more than anything in this world is, you know, making an internet friend, becoming really close with just someone over Skype or something like this, you know, right. and never meeting them until a cardistry con when I can finally literally shake their hand or give them a hug or something. So that, that's the short version of what cardistry is. Uh, and that's sort of my Damn. experience with it. Yeah. You, you dipped your toes into like every single big question that I was going to ask you oh, after, okay. after this, yeah. after this, after this first question, but just to circle back on what the seed of the question yes. was is what's the most challenging trick or whatever that you've ever pulled off. And then in a tandem to that, what's the most rewarding, you know, feeling as far as magic is concerned for you? Yes. Anyway, so we're, we're in, we're on top of this, you know, we found ourselves on top of this roof in Brooklyn and we're like, what do we do? And I go, okay, I'm going right. to sit on the edge of the, of the building 12 stories up and do cardistry. And John was like, say less, give me the camera. So I do. And I, you know, we, we were up there probably for two hours and I was just sitting on the, the corner of this building and just doing playing card flourishes. And we finally got this awesome take where I didn't drop anything. We literally went through five decks of cards which doesn't right. seem like a lot, but you know, it, I was dropping a card or two at a time and eventually the deck would get so thin that I'd have to switch it out. So, um, but I, I ended up with this crazy cool clip of me, it's someone, something that no one had ever seen before doing cardistry in such a risky situation. Now, of course I didn't have to put myself in that situation, but, right. um, it was such a fun thing to watch and such a cool thing that you can't really take your eyes off of that. And it, it ended up doing pretty well on the internet and Reddit and everything. And that's sort of my whole thing with cardistry is like, I want, it's, it's given me such enrichment in my life that 
I want everybody to get some, to be able to do something like cardistry, if it's not cardistry, just to be involved with that community and involved with, you know, being driven to make content and to share it with people online and build relationships with the internet. Like, so that's the the reason why I I focus so heavily on building an audience uh, with my content and um, sharing it with as many people as possible. That's awesome, man. I mean, that, that uh, like I said, I will, we, I do have a question, uh, like later on about how, sure. you know, big, no, don't, don't apologize. Big, like, you know, how the internet has like shaped your identity as a cardist or a magician in some respects. But, uh, would you say that that's like one in the same as far as like the most challenging thing you'd ever pulled off and one of the most rewardings or is there, cause I remember when you used to perform down at the, uh, Saturday market in oh, yeah. uh with with shout out to caleb sohegan uh if yes. he finds his way to this podcast uh um, yes the most what is it the most challenging uh card yes, trick ever i would probably say the second answer to that question um or i guess the second question is is sort of separate from the first in that my relationship with cardistry and magic is still very separate of course it's still cards and stuff but right. i would still consider myself a very proficient magician as well as a cardist and those t- cardistry and magic are now very separate that gotcha. was a big topic for debate in the community not that you know anyone outside of it cares but like people (laughs) like we've very much established that cardistry magic are very separate um but yeah so i used to perform downtown in downtown portland at this uh, big open air market called the saturday market and uh good friend of mine caleb sohegan and i had this street show is a street comedy magic show called uh the world's most dangerous card trick in the world right 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 yeah and uh the idea was um, or the, I guess the final act, the whole idea of the act was, uh, we'd have three cards selected. That's not true. We'd have one card selected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have one card selected and, uh, it would be signed by members of the audience. It would be lost in the deck. And then, um, Caleb would get on an 11 foot unicycle, Classic. not a joke. Uh, and he would have the cards and then we would select three members from the audience to help us out. And, uh, we'd give them three dangerous objects. So we had, um, a machete. Uh, a cordless drill and a, a torch and they would <laughs> all line up yep they'd all line up next to each other and they'd kneel down holding the dangerous items out in front of them and then uh Caleb would roll behind uh all the participants on his unicycle with the cards with the uh signed card lost in the deck and I would back up uh next to the people and he would spring the he would throw the cards over all the dangerous objects and the people and I would do a running flip over the dangerous objects over the people and grab the signed card out of the air um and it was truly the signed card that the spectator selected yeah. and um that I, the joke I tell is that I, that's how I paid my way through high school, but re- <laughs> <laughs> really it was just, it was just an awesome way. It was an awesome syndication of, uh, Caleb's love for acting, my love for magic. And I guess I love acting too, cause that's mostly what it was and just entertaining people, uh, in general. And, um, you know, money wasn't even a, a real thought of it. It was really just a way to express what we love to do. And, right. um, it was just really cool to just be a, a, a real part of, uh, you know, being a busker, that's what, that's what being a busker is. You do an act that lasts for about 15 minutes. You make people laugh and you pass the hat. And, um, it's just, it felt very, it felt very classical in, in the way of entertainment. Like it was just a really cool thing. Well, so that was definitely, that was definitely a big accomplishment I'd say. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it is in busking in a lot of ways, uh, is, you know, it's a form of street performing without a doubt. Like it is a variation of that, but in a way it kind of feels as though, 
uh, it's an evolution of like vaudeville, what vaudeville used to be back in like the 19, you know, 10s and 20s on Broadway right. and in the Catskills and stuff. You yeah. have, you know, for real, you know, the magician that comes out and saws the person in half. Yep. You have the tap dancers. You have, you know, the ventriloquists. But this is an evolution of that, and it has yeah. evolved into two boys in Portland on Saturdays, you know, busking in front of a crowd. You mean, you guys would draw crowds. I mean, I've seen it We've, live and on video. Yeah. These were There were people there. We performed... I think we didn't count, obviously. We're not going to sit there during the performance and be like, okay, everyone, we're going to take a roll here. Just stay here if you hear your name. <laughs> um, no, but we... we we would perform for, I mean, half the show is like crowd building, right? So right. it's just dumb little gags to get people to look and go, what's going on over there? But I think by the time we get into the meat of the act, it's really like, I, I remember one show where I looked up because I sort of black out every time I start performing. Sure. Yeah. No, for <laughs> but sure. I remember, I remember coming to during the show and I, I looked at the audience and it was like an audience. There was literally like a hundred people watching us. Totally. It doesn't seem like much, but when you're in a market and when there's a bunch of people coming by a hundred people standing around you in a circle is huge. And it's, it can be nerve wracking. Well, it's different than when you're like <clears throat> performing on stage in a play because the lights are down, you know, most of the time, but yeah. you're in broad daylight, you know, you can see, all 100 people at a show if you're performing on stage and there's 10 people in the audience you right. might not be able to tell that there's 10 people you might even have to psych yourself up and be like full house baby let's go let's <laughs> get it you know you might yeah, have to yeah. psych yourself up in that way but when yeah. you're performing on the street you know with caleb you can see everybody and not only can you see everybody there's traffic there's cars do you feel like in performing in these weird like side venues like adds an element of you know to the act that isn't able to be done like if you were performing on a stage like what is performing outside like in that sense well yeah uh, you know you're first first off you're like exposed to the elements so i mean you're we're sweating our ass we're sweating like a friggin' pregnant lady and <laughs> you can swear like, you can swear on this show this is this uh, is an explicit show you can say whatever well you yeah want. you know we're just outside just like with the sun beating down on us and really like Caleb and I would say like, okay, we're going to do like 10 shows today. Like that'll make a bunch of money. And like, we'll have, you know, they'll be fine. We right. can barely get through three cause like it's so hot. And then the other thing is that it's, it's the public and you, that's one of my favorite parts too, is that it's real people and it's the public and it forces you as an entertainer to think on your feet and how to make the most out of every situation, out of every look, out of every thing a person says to you, you got to make that funny and you got to spin that into a way that makes your audience that you're trying to build or that's already established. Um, you've got to just convince them to give you five bucks or 10 bucks at the end. And right. it, it's just a, such a fun game to play. And sometimes it sucks. Sometimes someone says something to you and you really have no idea how to handle that. But like just being able to, to zing someone back or just to think on your feet like that is a, uh, I think one of my favorite parts of, I guess not even performing on the street, but just performing in general as a, as the character of a magician. Right? Sure, it's all about you know, the magic is one thing, but it's I think the reason I do magic is the the relation the human relation in terms of like you go see you're going to see someone do something that normally you wouldn't ever see. Also, it's impossible. Also, this guy can make you laugh. Like that's just right. such, a, such a haymaker of like an entertainment aspect. You know what I mean? One hundred percent. And I think that the uh, you know, it's, it's just sort of, it is that moment of like, wow, this person literally performed, you know, a miracle right in front mm -hmm. of my eyes, you know, as a, as yeah. a spectator, having seen you do the magic as well as having, you know, been privy to that kind of thing before, you know, you go to be in awe. Like that's the reason you go is you want to see something that 
you don't think is humanly possible. And I think that magic is a distilled version of that. You totally. know, it is spectacle, yep. but it's, you know, it's storytelling as well. You got to build a trick, you know, there's not, it's, yep. you can't just fucking do the trick. Exactly. And I think one of my favorite, um, you know, quotes about that. And it's not, I mean, it's a, it's a paraphrase cause I'm, I can't remember the exact quote, but there's a magician named Paul Harris who, um, Legend, is known, right? well, yeah, is known for a lot of things, but, um, I wouldn't say most notably, but he did consult for David Blaine sure. in David Blaine's like early years when David Blaine made like street magic a thing. And I know that can be a meme sometimes, but like, that's like, I'm David Blaine as a meme. But, All right. No, but Paul Harris put it really, 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 uh, eloquently in that, um, Magic is about obviously creating this moment of impossibility, but it is um, pushing a spectator to the edge of what they know and to believe is real. And the feeling of the feeling of when you want to say, I don't know how that worked is you. uh, He put it as staring out into the abyss of the unknown, which is exactly what it is. Uh, Everything you do every day is a known quantity, right? working a zoom call like this setting up your mic eating (laughs) fucking breakfast you know what i mean like that's you know what's going to happen if you do one thing right if you put the egg in the pan it's going to cook as long as the heat's on right (laughs) i was just gonna say gotta turn that heat on remember the heat yeah but that's i think that's the best part about magic is that you know it can be categorized and i've thought about this a lot it can be categorized so easily as such a a childlike thing to do when i tell people i'm a magician if i'm meeting them for the first time they don't they don't go like oh that's that's sick actually they go oh you know what I mean? And they're kind of like, <laughs> right. of course, because like, you know, how many magicians have you met? But like, it's a very serious thing for me because I'm totally. so emotionally tied to the fact that I can make you feel a way that you may never feel again. And that's capturing the childlike sense of wonder. 100%. You know what I mean? So that I guess that's kind of a, the, that's the long answer. <laughs> that is the long answer. And you know what? Uh, that's why we do the pod is so I can get the long answer. But there you go. Um, you touched on the origins uh, of your of your magic days you know eight years old getting the magic kit you're performing right as like at birthday parties and stuff when you're when you're younger and you know honing Mm -hmm. your skills and so i want to know for you you may have touched on this already but i want to go a little bit more in depth when does cardistry enter the picture and when does cardistry become the focus and not as much the magic totally um yeah, um, it was so I was eight, about eight years old when I started magic, and um, I probably started doing. Vi- my dad started help me. Start, my dad helped me with a a YouTube channel when I was nine or ten, I want to say, and it was called Pick a Card, Any Card. And nice. You can't, I don't. I must have deleted it or something because I can't for the life of me find it. I would love to, but um, my dad would help me set up the home video camera, and we would just turn our lamps that we had just on the side and lean them up against chairs. So that was our light. Nice. Uh, and he just helped me. I don't know how it came about one day. I probably just asked him, how do I get on YouTube? And uh, I just started teaching these dumb little card tricks that I would read in books. And he taught me how to edit and he would edit videos for me. And then eventually I started editing and shooting my own videos and fi- I figured out how to upload. And I thought it was so cool that you can not like any random person can search my name, my username and f- watch me. I thought that was the coolest thing. Obviously it's very, you know, that's that's everything today. That's what social right. media is today. But like at the time, as a ten year old or whatever, I was so infatuated by that. Anyway, um, so I started, you know, doing the YouTube thing as a kid, and it was just like it wasn't very serious. But it, there were these like pretty high production for my age. I totally. felt videos that were like teaching magic, and I ended up making a bunch of friends. One of which is uh, my coworker now, Nick Stumphauser. Um, Classic. Yeah, he lives. He's in a, uh, He's in Florida now, but he was in Michigan before, and he was my first ever internet friend. Um, 
but yeah, just, you know, making connections like that. Um, and I would just live on YouTube. I think that was just where I was. It was, it was always YouTube. And I came across, I don't know when or how, um, but it was around that time. I came across this channel or these two guys named Dan and Dave. And um, they are now considered like the godfathers of cardistry. They're wonderful magicians. They, they're twins, first of all. Nice. Which is crazy. Uh, but they've been doing magic with cards their whole life. And they, they sort of took the idea of packet cutting. Uh, to a whole nother place and when I saw that on YouTube I was like that's the thing I got to learn can you just so, quickly describe packet cutting yeah yeah packet cutting I'm trying to find I'm just thinking I'm trying to think of an analogy that it's akin to but there's nothing it's akin to. <laughs> so uh, it's think of like skateboarding for your hands I guess with multiple skateboards <laughs> so you break no, who does that help <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't help anybody. Come on. What is so, packet cut? I mean, are you, is that, you know, when you're cutting the deck? Yeah, like packets. When you're, so yeah. you're, you're, you're splitting the deck into different packets and you're moving them around and twisting them around and the packets don't change. Once you have five packets, all they do is move around and then close. Gotcha. Um, as right. in they don't, they don't necessarily, they don't split off into fans or single card moves. That's a whole nother can of worms. But um, anyway, so yeah, packet cutting was like the first form of cardistry that's like archaic cardistry sure um so these two guys dan and dave uh began creating their own packet cuts and um at some point they released a dvd uh set that was called the trilogy and it was it was the whole the full name was it was one word but it was tricks and flourishes and everything else so there's one dvd for each so there's one dvd for tricks one for flourishes and then everything else was like just like sketches of ideas for the cards, which is cool. So I found that. And um, when I saw these guys, they were handling cards unlike anyone I'd ever seen. First of all, the videography was like very attractive to watch, but also just the, the, um, I can't even describe it, but like they were just so smooth. And I'd never, I didn't even know you could handle anything that smooth. So I was like, I gotta be like them. So um, for Christmas that year, I'm going to just say I was 11. Screw it. Screw it. 11. You were 11. <laughs> Fuck it. Who cares? Yeah. Uh, but I got I got that for, for Christmas. And I think that was a big turning point for me because the Tricks DVD had a bunch of tricks that were like with just these new slights that I didn't know were possible. But then the Flourishes DVD had a bunch of packet cuts and a bunch of cardistry. It wasn't even called cardistry yet. It was called Flourishing. Right? Gotcha. Yeah. So flourishing so for the lay person out there and my did not turn my do not disturb off. So my co-host is texting me a meme and I don't like that. So <laughs> fuck off Mason. Uh, but flourishes, you know, for the, for the, for the uneducated brain on uh cardistry is the aesthetically pleasing movement of a card basically. Yep. Yes. Yes, exactly. So that's what a flourish is. Um, but, you know, that was my first real introduction to learning cardistry. And my hands were too small to do anything. Sure. Um, but I just the like even the fact that I was getting frustrated over not being able to do a certain move was like it's I feel like subconsciously I was like, well, I got to learn this at some point. So that always stuck with me. And then, um, you know, I kept doing YouTube videos and I eventually just started coming up with my own moves. Obviously, I learned like the basics or whatever. Right. But I figured if I can't learn anyone else's moves, I got to learn my own. So, <laughs> so <laughs> sure. that's, I just yeah. So I guess I was probably around 11 and it was it was really Dan and Dave and that box set and, and YouTube and just finding more and more of these cardists. And then um you know, after, after the YouTube thing, it became Instagram in 2013, 2014. And that's sort of where the whole community lives now. Obviously we we put longer, you know, performance videos, uh, on YouTube, but I think everything is just on Instagram now in terms of being able to share really quick, short well, that's, ideas that, or videos. Yeah. That, that perfectly, uh, segues into the next thing that I wanted to ask you about, which is 
the relationship between social media and cardistry because both seem as though they are in the grand scheme of things relatively new uh things you know like you were saying uh earlier about you know youtube being novel you know i remember the first time i went on youtube i was in fourth grade at a sleepover you know literally like could not believe my eyes that this thing yeah. was ex- had existed. Totally. I think I've talked about this on another podcast, but I remember my friend showed us the Beat It music video by Michael Jackson. That was the sure. first thing I ever saw. That uh, checks out. <laughs> it was just, why the fuck would we watch that? But, <laughs> but we did. Well, why wouldn't you? Yeah. But um, it's, it's interesting that cardistry and social media almost are these lines that are running parallel to each other as far as like, taking off or at least it seems it does so what how do you see the relationship between social media cardistry and then just social media in general for something uh like oriented like this sure yeah so you know youtube was like i mean youtube was a different website back when i was on it and probably when you found it definitely totally you know you you had the idea or you had the ability to um chat with people and like that's just unheard of now um, but that's so that's how I met my friend Nick is that we would just send messages and then we were like, Why, what are we doing? What do we just got to Skype? So we that's <laughs> how we got to know each other. Nice. Um, so it was definitely fueled by YouTube. And then I don't remember download. Oh, I do remember downloading Instagram. And I was like, I thought I thought it was like a photo editing app. Right. To get like a little old vintage effect. And I was like, well, that I got to do that. Um, were you an OG Instagram user? I talked about this with my guest last week. She was an OG Instagram user. Really? Do you remember? Yeah. And I think um, she said it was like 2011 when she logged on. Do you remember when that was for I think, you? I think it was 2012 or 2013. Gotcha. It had to have been around 20. I bet, I bet she was 2013. But um, yeah, I, I don't know if that counts as OG. But I remember uh, getting Instagram and being like, oh, it's like a Facebook type of thing exactly like it's just a sharing thing i i was like well i just want to make cool looking photos i don't want to have to share them <laughs> right so i so of course i began using it like a person you know uh <laughs> i don't here's the thing and you can attest <laughs> i never had a phone <laughs> yes that is very true for the for the folks out there uh i don't remember exactly what year it was but all throughout middle school all throughout high school and the beginning of college for this boy he used an ipod touch for like literally like six or seven i want to say it was like six or seven years and was it 2018 where you're like hey i have a phone number now well that's probably when i told you but i think it was the end of 2017 that i I finally was like i got my own money now i should just get a phone damn and that's it (laughs) was always so amazing to me that you were able to navigate without one but you were finding weight in a very magician like way you were finding ways to use the ipod touch like a phone the only thing it couldn't do was call people but you were like i don't know if i'm allowed to say this but you were jailbreaking the thing to the point where (laughs) dude shut up dude they're listening shut up (laughs) all right fbi he was not jailbreaking the phone or the ipod touch he was (laughs) kissing it lightly (laughs) yeah yeah. no but i yeah so i use it it was it was so stupid. I mean, maybe what my, my my parents were just so. My dad was very much about the whole radiation thing, which I, is probably a real thing. I haven't looked into it enough, but like he was like, "There's no way I'm letting you put a a brick of radiation in your pocket and walk it <laughs> around all day." Yeah. And then my mom was just worried about like the addictive properties of it. And then also neither of them were like down to pay for my phone plan. Right. So I was like, whatever. Um, Obviously, I, I still did normal kid things like I hung out with people. It's fine because uh, I had a flip. I had my mom's old flip phone. Sure. So like if I needed to call my who 
who am I gonna call? You know, so I'll, I I would only need to call nine one one or my dad. You know, so <laughs> which that's all in I some a cases flip phone the for. same number. Sure, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> I would get them mixed up, but um, yeah, I didn't have a phone for the longest time. Uh, I would just use i iPods and my Mac to do iMessage. Everyone else I knew had an iPhone, so it's all good there. And right. if not an iPhone, is Facebook, so whatever. Sure. Anyway, I can't even remember what the oh yeah. So I downloaded. I remember <laughs> downloading Instagram on my iPod Touch. Right. Um just wanting to make cool photos. And then I started, you know, just uploading it like a normal person would in 2013, just like dumb photos of whatever. Didn't even, I didn't even, the thought didn't even cross my mind that I could like build a platform. Like platform wasn't even a word I knew that at that time. Sure. Um, But I remember I was actually, Oh, maybe I'll bet you, I guess I downloaded it way before 2013 because I remember is October of 2013 that I uploaded cardistry like a, uh, oh. a little edit that i did so i it must have been before um dane johnson close family friend of mine grew up with him pretty much lived up the street from me um helped me film oh this is right when slow motion came out on the iphone 6 oh classic right um so i i like i was like super stoked on that so i had um his mom film <laughs> a slow motion move on her phone or whatever and then i chopped it up and edited it to music and i put it on instagram and I got like a bunch of likes. Like at the time I was like, "Oh, I guess people like this." From strangers, people you didn't know. Well, no, it was just like friends. Oh, was <laughs> it? Oh, okay. We're, yeah, they we're, were not... like, "Whoa, we didn't know you did that." <laughs> um, <laughs> so I kept doing these cardistry little cardistry edits and then uh oh, that's right. And then it was October of 2014 that um I followed I started following this playing card brand on Instagram and they were doing a contest where um if you submit uh like an edit doing cardistry uh the best edit would win half a brick of cards half a, a brick is 12 decks nice. these are industry terms don't worry about it oh, uh, a brick is a brick is 12 uh decks and half a brick is six so sure um you do the best edit you win six of their decks and i was like i got nothing to lose so i threw together a little edit and a week later i was told I won. So I was like, oh my gosh, I can just get free things doing this. So Congratulations. <laughs> exactly. So I just, and then I think from then on, I was, I again did kind of the YouTube thing of meeting people and messaging people on this app. And, and uh, it was just a very quick way to, you know, you snap a photo or video uh, and then upload it and bada bing, bada boom, you're on the internet. And it was just, <laughs> it was, there. I guess it's sort of, now that I'm thinking of it, it sort of captured my, you know, that, interest I had in um, putting myself on YouTube. Sure. Like now it was just, I could do it all myself and I can do it in under five seconds. Right. And just be on Instagram. So uh, from then on, I started, I guess, tuning my focus towards more cardistry and magic. Um, I guess to answer your question a little bit more, I've sort of focused more on cardistry recently because it's easier to look at and instantly be like, oh, that's cool. Right. With magic, you have to be like, you have to remember a card. And by sure. that time, someone's already checked out. But if you see someone throwing a card behind their back in slow motion, blindfolded, you're gonna, you're probably gonna stick around right. because you can objectively say, "I can't do that," unless you can't do that. But you're gonna be like, "That's something I don't see every day," and that's cool. That's right. like, it, that's why I'm saying it looks like juggling or skateboarding. It's a skill that you know you can learn, and then it just looks cool on video. Got you. Okay. Yeah. When you are, I guess like thinking of what your next 
edit is going to be, whatever your next thing is going to be, what are you keeping in mind? Like what, what is important to you as far as the, whatever you're putting out goes like, does it, do you have a set of criteria or do you really just are flying from the seat of your pants? So that, that brings up a good point that I should have brought up earlier is that, um, cardistry now the community it's all about your moves and like creating moves and it sounds so sounds so funny to say i'm sure it sounds odd from an outsider's perspective but like imagine you know in skateboarding there's a a certain set of moves right i mean there's a bunch but like you can see someone do a move and you can be like oh that's a kickflip or that's a switch treat you know 360 flip or whatever right with cardistry now there's those standards but now artists are creating their own moves and you can now distinguish someone's move by looking at it and you can say, Oh, that's Patrick's move or that's um, Kevin's move or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Because you, you can just come up with different ways to, sh- it's, it's essentially shuffling, right? So you can, you just come up with different ways to move the packets around and then you teach it and people learn it. So um, that's the big thing is that's sort of how you, that's one way of gaining notoriety in the cardistry community is come up with the craziest moves. Sure. And, um, there was a point where I was like really focused on that and um, it sort of died out when there was these competitions that I was entering and I wasn't, you know, remotely placing just because these kids are blowing me out of the water now. So um, I sort of switched my focus from doing cool moves to doing the best videos. And I'd say, I'd say that I'm doing a pretty good job of doing the best and most creative videos in cardistry. Sure. And it sounds cocky to say, but like, I feel like I've worked hard enough to be able to say that. Sure. So that's, that's definitely another way is, is, you know, learning cardistry to a point, not that I'm not learning cardistry anymore, but learning to a a proficient enough level where you can sort of hold your own move wise, but learning how to portray that. And it really becomes down to a way of communicating a feeling. When I do an edit, there's a feeling that I want to, I want you to feel while watching cardistry. Yeah, the cardistry is really cool, but I want you to be moving along to the music and I want you to get chills when something happens on beat or whatever. That's, that's just sort of how I'm integrating you know, music and, uh, film and, and cardistry. So, um, I'd say that's sort of where my corner of, of the market is, is, is cool videos. And again, that, that's another thing. It's a great way to monetize, um, you know, yourself as a cardist. You, sure. You can do moves, but you know, your move, your, your moves are great, but how are you going to get people to see them or how For are you sure. going to communicate how your move feels to watch? So, um, that was a, that was a way in college that I, I started, having some income is, is playing card companies would, you know, pay me to make a sponsored poster to do an edit for them. And, um, that's just sort of where my focus is now. For sure. And the, you know, ability to do that, like you were saying, it all is coming back to this idea of, you know, I can do this all myself. I can film this myself. I learned, I know the move, obviously I can edit this together myself. You're creating, your own industry, you know, yes. within yourself, you're creating totally. your own, uh, I don't want to say factory because that makes it sound so, you know, like you're p- putting lambs through the slaughterhouse, but sure, yeah, you know, sure. you're, you're creating your own, uh, assembly line as far yeah. as like, listen, I can do this on myself. I, I, yep. I, I got this, you know? And I think that, uh, that is a testament to your, not only your ability as a cardist and as a magician but your ability as a filmmaker as well i know i can speak to the fact you and i have made movies together uh in the past and you know uh it is you know it it is filmmaking you know at at the end of the day you are making movies they just happen to be this is how i'm going to show you this move this is how i'm going to communicate this feeling and as someone as a viewer of that not for myself 
you're doing a good job because uh, when I when I'm looking at these videos, I'm like, oh boy, <laughs> that's that's the that's the that's the expression that's going through I my head. That. Yeah, um, totally. But I also wanted to know a little bit about Cardistry Con. Uh, yes. You know, and you were talking to me off mic. You were like, I really want to talk about the community yes. aspect of Cardistry, and you've been touching on it, you know, already with uh, the idea that you are meeting these people online who you've never met before. And then, you know, you consider them a good friend. And then all of a sudden you're meeting for the first time, yes. you know, five, six, ten years down the line. Totally. So talk to me a little bit about how did Cardistry Con start? And then mm-hmm. talk to me about your keynote speech that you gave and sure. what that was like. Yeah, yeah. Um, so magic conventions have been around forever. And by that, I mean, probably since like, I don't know, the fifties or something. Since <laughs> but, forever, baby. Yeah. But so magic conventions are, are just that it, it's a bunch of people generally in a hotel room or not, not, not in just in one, one hotel, hotel room. room because that's the trick is you squeeze everyone into the same hotel room. Yeah. Everyone, everyone convene in the double tree floor 12 uh, <laughs> room 36. No, um, magic conventions usually take place in uh, a hotel with a convention center. Right. Sure. And everyone's just stays in the hotel and um, they come to see their favorite magicians perform live. And also magic companies come to sell their product. And um, I imagine before the internet, it was probably a similar experience with people who probably, you know, met at a convention somewhere and then say, then said to themselves, Hey, will I see you in San Diego or whatever? And they go, yeah, right. I guess I'll see you in a year or whatever. Um, so it's just a place for a bunch of nerds to nerd out together over magic and to, to meet, you know, their favorite magicians. So, uh, my first convention was, um, in 20, 2014, it was, okay. it was, uh, there's a brand of convention that's, it's now, well, it was the elite convention. Like it was the convention. Right. Um, it's called, just called magic con. Sure. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's exactly like any other con. Uh, like Comic Con or whatever, but uh, I went with my dad, and I think this is probably why it meant so much to me. Is my dad? We flew flew down to San Diego, uh, and he ended up registering accidentally for the convention. He didn't know if he oh, had to wow. or not to like get into the hotel itself. So he bought a ticket with me, and um, <laughs> we get to the front desk, and they're like, "Oh, so you registered two people?" And I go, "Well, yeah, I guess my dad." And he's like. And they go, does he do magic? And I go, no, he's just my dad. <laughs> and he's like, so we ex- it was cool. We got to experience it together. Uh, and he also got to see me. That was one of the first times I ever met any of my um, internet friends in real sure. life. So that was really cool. But yeah, the whole weekend, it's usually a Friday, Saturday, Sunday thing where there's um, performances and a lot of his lecture, right? You pay right. a premium price to, to learn from the best. And right. it's honestly priceless the the amount of experience you get out of it in terms of not only magic stuff but just usually these conventions go late into the night and early hours in the morning because a lot of it is of course lecture and stuff but i think the real convention happens after hours when in the hotel bar or whatever or in the lobby when people are just chilling because like when when you when else are you going to meet these people from literally around the world so you want to really soak that all up um so that was a good experience and then um dan and dave where I mentioned before, yeah, yeah. they they sort of helped organize um, car, or, uh, Magic Con. And then the natural step there was um, organizing the first Cardistry Con in 2015. Sure. And um, the first one was in Brooklyn. Um, Gowanus, Brooklyn, I remember. You yeah, the Gowanus Loft. Gowanus Loft, I remember yeah, yeah. that. Um, but of course, as soon as I saw that, I knew I had to go. There's sure. no way I was missing it. And um, so I registered, I got a ticket, uh, 
it was really fortunate that I got a ticket because it sold out. They they only had 52 spots oh because my God. they they had no idea how big or small this would be. So, um, and ended up selling out within eight seconds. Holy and the, shit! The tickets were a couple hundred bucks, but it, I mean that that was literally not even a, a thing I thought about. I right. just had to go right. So, um, that was my first experience of meeting, uh, like cardists that I had looked up to for years and years in the community in person, and that was just that literally life changing. Like for that. Sure. That's what made me pivot to this whole thing of me. You know, my whole the thing that gets me out of bed every day is the fact that I could make a new internet friend and then five years later meet him in person. Like that's right. the coolest thing to me. So, um, yeah, it's the same thing. Cardistry cons are exactly the same as magic con, except there's no magic usually involved. It's just people shuffling cards. And it's cool that there's, um, Oh, one of the, you know, one of the coolest parts of cardistry cons now is that we hold the, um, CCC, which is the cardistry con championship. So a few months before cardistry cons. Now, uh, we hold this competition, the community collectively. And, um, it's just like a tournament style bracket where cardists uh, can audition on Instagram. And then there's a panel of judges and they select their favorites. And then we whittle it down to top 20, top 10, top five, top three. And then um, the finals takes place live. So, oh, wow. Um, yeah. So we, uh, we found in 2015 that watching cardistry videos in a live setting is like the coolest shit ever because <laughs> right. it's, it's literally, it's a, it's a place to premiere yourself as a cardist, or if you're an established cardist, uh, a place to establish or, uh, a place to premiere new moves. And it was such a surreal experience watching this new, there's this guy named Tobias Levin in the community and he's God tier. Um, Top dog, baby. Yeah. And he premiered this video at Cardistry Con and it was all these new moves that we had never seen in 2015. And we just lost our minds. Right. It was like the whole place just erupted. And that was like, it just it gets, gives me chills thinking about it. It's the same thing as at E3 when they premiere, you know, the PS5 and everybody, you know, freaks out or exactly. in, in this case go, fuck that shit, you know, <laughs> but you know, it's the, it's the same exact thing. And I, yeah. can, I have to imagine that, you know, there's an added element of suspense. Like if you're watching, uh, you know, a live concert or a live performance of any kind in the fact that like this could go wrong. There's an element totally. of like unpredictability there as well, which when yep. you're watching on Instagram, it's like they've done this, you know, a hundred takes of this and they picked, you know, the best five to 10 seconds, but this is happening live in front of you. This shit could go wrong. Yep. Yeah. In terms of people can just react to the video negatively or not, or the worst, you know, the worst is not getting a reaction at all. Right. And that, that can, that's, a whole nother thing, but yeah. Um, so it's a place to premiere videos and just to experience that whole thing. Um, but the championship, uh, is sort of kind of what the cardistry year revolves around because it's sure. all about, you know, beefing up your skills so that you can enter and be selected as a contestant and then hopefully win. And the, the prize, um, is a cash prize. I think we, I think it was like $2,500 this year in 2019. Not yeah. Not bad. And then, um, it's just like notoriety being known as like the champion of cardistry, sure. um, for that year or whatever. And I think that's super cool. So, um, shoot. What talk about your, talk about your speech that you gave oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. one year. What year was that? And then, uh, what did you talk about? Yeah. So I actually gave a couple, um, after okay. 2015 in Brooklyn, uh, and seeing all my idols on the stage giving yeah, yeah. a talk, I told myself that I really wanted to be a, a headliner, is what you call it. Um, and so I, then the next one was in Berlin, which I didn't end up going to because um, of college and stuff. Right. Uh, but then the next one after that was 2017. So that was in Los Angeles. And I remember getting uh, a message from uh, 
Dave of Dan and Dave, oh, wow. the godfathers of cardistry. Uh, and at this point I, I had realized I had potential to build an audience and that's sort of what I wanted to do. For sure. So, um, I, uh, got a message and he goes, Hey man, um, do you want to talk <laughs> at cardistry con? And I go, absolutely. Describe so, that moment. Just the, the feeling of not only, you know, this is the, you got their DVD for Christmas when you're, yeah. when you were a kid, what does that feel like? It was, well, you know, I think they actually called, they messaged me and asked for my number. And I was like, of course I'm going to get, I'll give you literally anything. Just yeah. ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so they, I gave them my number and they called me and they said, Hey man, um, you know, we've been watching you, uh, this last year and we'd love to have you speak at Cardistry Con. And I kept it pretty cool. Cause I'm like, Oh, for sure, man. This is de- yeah, of course. Yeah, no, no big deal. It's <laughs> yeah. all good. Even if you don't want me to speak, it's all good. Whatever. I'll yeah. speak. Um, but then when I got off the phone, I was I was freaking out because I think everybody in cardistry has an experience with Dan and Dave, whether it's just knowing that they're the godfathers or, um, you know, knowing them from way back in the day and knowing now that they're the godfathers, but you're in their inner circle. And, that, you know, so to be contacted and to just talk uh, to them like that was like a huge deal. So um, during that time, I was kind of doing a lot with photography and cardistry. So sure. I'd make these cool um, photo manipulations with card pictures and stuff i would look like i have multiple hands or whatever it's just a bunch of photoshop stuff but um that was a way i was capitalizing on something that nobody had ever seen before you know what cardistry looks like you know what a deck of cards looks like here's a picture that you've never seen before that shows both of those things in a new way so of course that's i mean it's all about differentiating yourself just with it with literally anything so that was sort of where where i was putting my energy that year and uh so my talk was um kind of just it was a longer version of that sentence i just said to you just now Um, yeah and just about creativity in general. And then uh, I I, so I did like a time lapse of like a Photoshop thing that I did. Oh, very they have cool. a screen and everything. And I just, I just started, sort of talked through it. Um, Where in people, LA was the convention? It was um, the Arts District. The, it was of, like, of, like it downtown. Was downtown. Yeah, it was downtown. Classic uh, shit. Yeah, it was actually, um, I don't know the geography of LA, but it was pretty seedy in terms of like, you Listen. don't really want to go outside. <laughs> Listen, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, we got a lot of people in L.A. or who have been to L.A. who listen to this pod. And so uh, don't go there. And if you're there, get the fuck out <laughs> immediately. But I'm, I'm just yeah, no, the arts district of downtown ugh, do not go there. Yeah. But so you're giving this talk about. Yeah, creativity. Uh, it was a cool venue, too. It was it was uh, it was actually a juice bar. That was like a, it was just a big space that oh, wow. like they had the bar in front and then we just converted the, but we like had a bunch of branding in terms of like all the companies had their logos that they plastered on the wall and everything. Um, and then the last day we had the in and out truck come and cater for us, which is fucking awesome. Hell oh, and yeah. then, by the way, the, at this point, the, um, we had like 175 people come, oh which my is God. compared to, you know, the first ever Cardish Con was 52. Uh, 52 people were just, and that's just like a fire code thing. Like we literally, the space we got would not allow for more. So, um, the year after that was Hong Kong, uh, which was crazy. Um, China's a whole thing. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) So that year I ended up talking about, um, uh, viral videos and cardistry and the importance of, or I guess why I put so much emphasis on, um, creating viral videos with cardistry and, It comes down to just, uh, like I said before, I just want people to open their eyes up to the fact that they can get involved with any hobby or skill and there is a community for it online. And when you get involved in the community, you make friends and all of a sudden your life is better. That's can just, I, that's, yeah. Can that's I it. ask you if your, if your talk was about 
viral videos. Uh, what do you think are the main components of going viral? Going viral is this idea that I think really existed more so pre, I want to say the 2010s, but like trickled into the 20. Pre, well, a little, I mean, a little bit, to be honest with you, like TikTok, I think, you know, there are TikToks that go viral, but just the idea of virality now feels yeah. a little bit less novel because sure. there's so much content. But like, totally. you think about like, just for example, like the chocolate rain video, when that first came out, that there was like no videos on YouTube. So <laughs> there's like literally four videos and one of them was chocolate rain. So when that one picks up steam, it's yeah. everywhere. And I don't know right. what the, what the platforms or was it dig or stumbled upon or whatever sure. those platforms yeah, yeah. were stumbled prior upon. to the big social medias. But yeah. virality almost feels a little bit uh, ubiquitous now. So how in even a more homogenized time, do you stand out from the pack? How do you go viral in your eyes? Well, it's sort of tough now just because, again, it's so saturated. You're completely right. Like viral videos, you know, I can't tell you the last viral video I saw because every video I see is viral. You know exactly. what I mean? Like yeah. that's just how it is. But uh, yeah, I guess I, I sort of became interested in this idea of going viral in 2016 to dial it back a little bit just yeah, to yeah. give me my whole experience with that. I um, I think everyone knows the site Unilad. Of course. Uh, the the page on Facebook, right? Yep. They would just post funny, dumb videos or whatever. For sure. And I remember, uh, you know, this is a, I, I actually posted my entry to the cardistry competition in 2015, I guess it was. And uh, I posted that to Facebook just because. Right. And then uh, Chris Ramsey, a big, big YouTuber now, he ended up sharing it on his page. Oh, and wow. I was like, that's crazy. And I logged into Facebook a couple hours later and it had like 400 likes on my post. And I was like, that's never happened before. Right. And then uh, later that night, my friend texts me and go, and they go, hey, is this you? And <laughs> I had seen that Unilad posted it and it had 30,000 likes on oh Unilad's page. And everyone was tagging me and everything. Right. Uh, and I would reload the page and it'd be 20,000 more views and 10,000 more comments. And I reload it again and there's 30,000 more views and 10,000 more comments. Wow. And I was like, this shit's moving, dude. Like, <laughs> it, this is like a tangible thing that's like, it's like a derailed train at this point. <laughs> and I just yeah. love that. I love that feeling. Not, not of like the fact, and I didn't need, I really gained much from that. Cause like they didn't tag my Instagram or anything or, right. um, but it was just cool to see so many people had their eyes on me and were watching my thing. And uh, granted, a lot of the comments were like, wow, what a loser this kid is. Cause <laughs> it was card shuffling. I mean, that's just, that's the general reaction of like the, I hate, I literally hate this comment more than any, you could say anything to me, but if you say this comment to me, I'm throwing myself out of a moving car. Oh boy! It's the comment is save some pussy for the rest of us. Whoa! It's just every time someone comments that they think they're being so smart, but I've gotten that comment on videos m more than I can even bear to think right now. <laughs> well, and Sean, it's just so. I have to ask you the question: Did you save some pussy for the rest of us? And I promise you, I'm not. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> Thank God. Don't <laughs> fuck them. Who cares? Um, but yeah, so it's just like, it's just so many people commenting and, and it's really something you can reload the page every second and there's thousands of new things. So right. I love that. I love that feeling. So um, I started, you know, putting my sites on Reddit because I, I, first of all, I had no idea what the heck Reddit was. Sure. I actually, this is funny. In high school, I ended up doing a, I found r slash AMA, which is sure. ask me anything. And yeah, it's yeah. usually, you know, for celebrities or like important people to like have a chance to really 
you know, tangibly connect with people. Right. Um, and I didn't know that. So I, <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> I, I post, hi, I'm a magician. And I'm a high school age magician. Ask me anything. Wow. And I remember it getting like a thousand upvotes nice. and people, people were being pretty rude, but also were like, how do you, you know, I was just, I basically told you, told them everything I've told you in terms of my story and like my whole passion for everything. Sure. And it was just cool to be able to reload the page and there's new comments and new people to respond to. Um, fast forward to 20, say 20, the beginning of 2018. Yeah, yeah. I, um, was on the phone with John Stessel, the guy I was in New York with who filmed the rooftop yep. car industry. Right. And, uh, he's like, let's make a viral video. And I'm like, uh, how? And he goes, Oh, Reddit. So I was like, what's something, what's, what's something that could be shared that's so impossible with cardistry. And I found that it was, um, doing cardistry moves blindfolded. So I have this card. Oh. There's a, there's a move in cardistry where you shoot a single card behind your back and catch it in your other hand. Um, what's that and called? it's called the behind the back flicker shot. <laughs> is it, is that real? Is that actually what it's that's called? That's literally, yeah, that's, that's what awesome. it is. Abbreviated as BTB. So BTB brother. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I spent like an hour filming this. I was legitimately blindfolded with a bandana and I, I did a couple moves blindfolded in front of me. No problem. And then I shot this card behind my back and caught it and I put it on Reddit and, um, I woke up the next morning and it had 126,000 upvotes, which, what, which is in a night. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't a night. Maybe it was two nights, but I think at its, it like, it peaked out at 126,000 and I remember looking and the only thing, the things that were above me at that time in terms of if you, if you sorted from like top posts of all time at the time, it was uh, like the Olympics. And I was like, I'm as good as the Olympics, <laughs> but yeah. all the comments of course were like either, wow, that's cool. Or save some pussy for the rest of us. Classic. And then a lot of people were like, that's fake. And, uh, yep. I ended up posting the raw footage because it was edit. I like did some like slow motion or whatever. And people were thinking I didn't catch it cause the card turns just, oh, so they you, thought it was just a barely. Trick. Yeah. 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 So they're like, there's no way you did that. Um, and people were like tagging captain disillusion and everything. But like, that was another, like, it was, it was just like that feeling of movement and that feeling of, I guess you can, you can call it down to like just me wanting attention, but it, I, I think I would encourage someone who's thinking that to look past that and to realize that I'm posting this because I want people to see cardistry, this thing that's made my life so good. For sure. So, yeah. So I think cardistry has like got a lot of viral potential or at least did in 2018. I think people have seen so many other viral cardistry videos and there's a bunch of really great ones. But I think now that, you know, the selling point that I, I could almost guarantee a viral Reddit post at a time in 2018 by posting to a, the specific subreddit. Um, I've been shuffling cards for over half my life. This is what it looks like. And that's an attractive right. title that you're going to click on because what the heck does that look like? How, how different right. can you shuffle cards? And then when you see it, you go, oh, that's cool. Here's an upvote. Um, but now, you know, I think people not I'm not saying they co- copied me. Or whatever, but right. other people obviously have just figured that out that they can do that. Sure. And um, you know, seeing seeing cardistry in the wild, as we call it, I guess, on Reddit or whatever, is not an uncommon thing, which I think is great. I think that's awesome. But just going back to your question, the idea of virality, um, it's t- it's tough to say, man. Because well, I guess let me. Do you share when you see a funny video? How do you share it, or what pro- what makes you want to share it? Um, I think for me, the thing that like makes me want to share it is it's like, oh, this thing feels very specific and unique like this this is something that i feel like i haven't 
either a seen before or b seen done in this particular way like i'll give you an example our friend nathan fielder remember yes. familiar with that sure. guy sure sure uh have you ever gone through his youtube channel from the pre nathan for you days i actually haven't no there's some really, really good stuff on there. And obviously, I know that internet sketch comedy is basically like a dead monetized, monetizable thing, you know, as yeah. far as like making a living. There are some people who do it insanely well. Gus Johnson has found a way to like make yeah. his entire life, you know, around sketch comedy, which is amazing. Right. You know, like he's never going to hear this, but if he does, huge respect to Gus Johnson, huge respect to Eddie <laughs> Burback and all those guys who are finding a way to make money doing comedy online, like, you yeah. know, dream. But, uh, you know, he's got a video on there that my lovely co-host who interrupted the show by texting me uh, sent me that is Nathan uh, with a girl and they're mm-hmm. flirting. And then instead of him going in for the kiss, he ends up singing the entirety of Howie Day's Collide. <laughs> and the girl is like, what the fuck is going on? And there's like a fourth wall break. And I think it's called uh, somehow it's some lyric to the song. But for me, it's like, man, I want people to see this because I think this is funny because this is doing something I haven't seen before, right. I guess. And you're sending it to people generally who have the same humor as you or will, will you know will find it funny. Or that I want, I guess, in a certain regard you to convert like, think people? it's funny. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting because I think viral videos, you know, are predicated off the idea of sharing something, right. right? Sharing it to your own page publicly because at that point it becomes exponential. If it, like, for example, that first video that Chris Ramsey shared, um, he's yeah, at that point he had tens of thousands of followers. So of course he shares it to his page, and then hundreds of those people share it to their pages. Right. Maybe 10 of those hundred are other influencer types that share it to their pages. It literally just is an exponential curve. And I think that's what's so interesting about, um, you know, trying to go viral or viral videos in general is that it's an exponential thing. And you can really come back in an hour after posting to Reddit and be at the front of a subreddit or at the front of Reddit. And I think that's super cool. But I think, I think that's in a, in a more macro sense, I think that's just, such a wonderful testament to the internet. Of course, the internet can be used for literally everything and anything. Sure. But the fact that you can communicate an idea and then have it be at the forefront of the internet, which is Reddit, um, <laughs> right. is, is just such a, in the span of an hour, even, you know what I mean? And being at the top of Reddit at the front, on the front page of Reddit has led me to not only build my audience on Instagram, which leads to more, you know, streams of income for me in terms of leads. Right. Right. But it also, that's where, that's where every meme page nine gag Unilad gets their content is the front of the Reddit because they know if they see a a video or a a image with hundreds of thousands of upvotes, they know it's objectively going to perform well on their page. Right. Because it's already objectively performed well on Reddit. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's just, it's, that's the whole, that's internet. That's the internet. It's just, it's recycling content. So yeah, I I just think again a very macro sense of why I do what I do is just the fact that we have this incredible tool, the internet, to communicate instantaneously. And I know that sounds like so that sounds so basic to say because obviously that's what that's what a inter- that's what the Wi-Fi is, right? But All like, right. Just 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 create movement and to communicate an idea at exponential speeds is something that's so so attractive to me. Can I ask you a potentially? I'm not going to say downer question, but can I ask you a potentially like risky question, I guess? Please. I'm all for it. Does that idea of the 
ever-increasing acceleration and speed of online and the ever-accelerating and increasing speed of the content race. I'll just use that word for an uh, umbrella term. Does that ever scare you? Does that ever make you feel anxiety? Yes or no? Um, yes and no. Sure. Just um, for myself and for my own page and for my own, I, get, I hate you know using this term, but for br- my own brand or whatever. You're right. Uh, me, yeah. Me as a me as a profile as a character on the internet. Yeah, it gets stressful because I haven't posted to Instagram in a month. Right. And normally I'm posting two or three times a week. And that's not only to keep the – I hate this, but it's not only to keep the numbers up but to keep the money coming in. Because, sure. of course, it's a it's a very monetizable platform once you get to a place where you have an audience. But For sure. But once you start losing that and start losing engagement, then you know, you're leaving a lot of money on the table, so to speak. Um, so for me as a person, yeah, sometimes it gets stressful. I haven't been posting because I've been – you know, letting other voices be heard at this specific time. Absolutely. And then also, also just truly, you know, reinvesting my time into educating myself on the topics at hand to, in today's world for real. Um, so yeah, it can get stressful there, but the other side of that is I don't think it will or does, uh, because there's always new eyes to be found. Sure. There's always new people that haven't, I guess, you know, in my, in terms of me, haven't seen cardistry. Um, but there's also just, new people coming to the internet or coming to different profiles every day. And I think that there's a constant stream of viral content, but there's also a constant stream of new eyes that are always, that are literally ready to be captured because that's why they have a profile on the internet, wherever, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, but that's why they're on the internet is to consume things. So there's always new people to reach. That's really nice that the, you know, the wanting to reach new people, I guess, is what it sounds like, is that thing that really keeps you going as far as, like, how can I continue to innovate? How can I continue to reach new eyes? Because there is a very cynical thing that you can do where you can look at something like this that is purely internet-based and go, this person just wants attention. And yeah. I think that there is a cynical view that you can take of that. Of course. But I would also encourage anyone who may be listening to this podcast to not, or not, I'm going to say not, to look at it the other way and say, this is someone who loves something so much that they've invested their entire life, time, resources, energy, efforts to share it with you. Yes. You know, that's the other side of the coin. That's the you know optimistic coin. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, you, there's no room in this world for cynicism. I think cynicism is important to a certain extent. Sure. But I think that the Internet, you know, like minded people follow like minded people. And if you keep falling into those suck holes of cynicism then what the fuck are you going to enjoy? And do you even want to enjoy it in the first place? You know, exactly. the yep. internet is kind of this blank space that is not in like preferably good or evil, but the people who come to it can bring such an insanely positive change or an insanely positive mindset, or in a lot of cases, an insanely negative one And cyberbullying, you know, is a real thing not to, you know, switch, you know, gears here sure, completely, sure, sure. but like, you know, it feels just as real, you know, to a yeah. certain age demographic than yep. uh, real life bullying. And so I think that's a great outlook to be like, you know, look, you might think I'm doing this because I want attention. You might see my follower account and go, oh, this this is something that I am doing because I know people will watch. 
but there's that other side of the coin. It's like, well, why are people watching? And it's because I love it so much, you know? Right. So yep. I think that's a really beautiful thing, Sean. I appreciate that. That means a lot. Yeah. That's, I'm, I'm glad that we're on the same page and I'm glad I was able to communicate that fully. Cause that's exactly, that's my full heart posture is that I love it so much and I want you to love something as much as I love this thing. What can I ask you this question? This is uh, not as evil of a question <laughs> that I'm going to ask. But don't, hey, you don't have to ever growl like that ever. Meow, scratch, scratch. What kind of podcast is this? Uh, it's a crazy one. But uh, what for you is the best comp kind of compliment or best compliment that you've received? I think that's always a interesting thing to ask people like you know what is that what is the best kind of compliment or what is your favorite type of compliment to receive it's hard it's hard answering this without sounding like an absolute douchebag well (laughs) go for it uh, i'm gonna and uh (laughs) i love meeting people at um conventions at cardistry con i guess that's the only convention i go to now but um i love meeting kids or people who tell me their first experience with me. Oh, I lo- for sure. I love hearing about that because it's it's some it's some of these moments that I I'll never think about normally, but when this a kid comes up to me and said and says, "Hey, when you commented on my post on this date in this year at this time, that made my day." And then I started I didn't know who you were and then I followed you and then you've got great videos. And like that that sort of shit like makes my day all the, all day and night. Um because it just brings up these it, it, like I can most of the time remember when that instant what instance was with a certain you know individual or whatever um and then you know normally i'll ask them like what their instagram is and i'll generally recognize it so it's again going back to that whole meeting in person thing but just um genuinely i really like hearing how my work impacts other. i guess that's what it is i like hearing how my work impacts other people because i think a lot of people do you know recognize I, and I've come, you know, come to terms with it. I'm not the best cardist and I don't think I'll ever be the best right. cardist in terms of moves, but God damn it. If my videos aren't great, <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? And sure, like, I love, absolutely. I love hearing people, you know, um, I guess I, I like hearing the impact that I can have on people. Cause it's, again, that goes back to the tangibility aspect of everything we do. I love hearing, um, people's favorite video of mine or whatever, or what they liked about a certain video. And it's just a, it's a really cool thing to hear. Absolutely. I think that's uh, it's a great answer, my friend. There is some other stuff that I do want to talk about. Can we move on to yeah, some, yeah, some different Yo, topics? Go for it. Um, last kind of real question that I see us uh, talking about before we dive into the actual cards themselves, yep. uh, because this is, uh, as you know, a podcast about people's favorite things, but <laughs> yes. there was so much to talk about as far as like the, the quote unquote backstory about yeah. this. Cause this is, listen, uh, this I'd be shocked if I had someone else on this podcast who talks about <laughs> playing cards to the extent that you have. So yeah, my yeah, last totally. real question for you is, is where do you see yourself moving in the future? Where do you see yourself going with cardistry, with magic, with uh, social media, with, is it fair to call you a cardistry influencer? Can I say that? I get dude, that, that word makes me want to gag myself with a spoon. Sure. You know what I mean? But like, yeah, yeah I guess so. I mean, it's such a small community, but um, there's a handful of companies and people that like hold a certain influence over these people in terms of how brands want to market their cards to, you know, the cardistry community. And I'm definitely one of them because I worked, I worked to get there. You know what I mean? Like I, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to, ever since I won that contest when I was a kid and I got free decks out of it, I was, that's just, obviously I love decks of cards 
and I love not paying for them. So that's what I, you know, <laughs> sure. that's, that's sort of where I wanted to be. So I, I wanted to make sure my videos were good enough and I could be able to sell myself and my skills to brands. So yeah, I guess it would be fair to call me that. Then where do you see yourself going in the future with that? Do you have different types of content that you want to look toward? Is there anything in mind that you have that you'd like to do that you're not doing? Where do you see yourself going forward with cardistry, with magic, with social media? Totally. Without getting too into it, um, there's now an econ- I mean, I sort of already did. There's now an economy for brands and custom playing cards now, right? Sure. Like it's not you can like the cards you want to use for cardistry are not your run of the mill bicycle playing cards. They're printed by the same factory, but um, they've got a different stock and a different feel, and they're connected and associated with these names in the cardistry community that kind of. The whole the whole root of it is if you use these cards, you'll be like these people who use these cards and who made these cards right. and designed sure. them. Uh, and it's just it's literally like any other. It's like skateboarding, right? You want to use a certain brand of skateboards because Eric Costin uses that deck or Tony Hawk skates on these wheels, right? right. That's why you get. That's just business, right? It's just really. That's just, just business. That's billionaire mindset, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really just like this economy of of custom playing cards. So I work for a, a company called the Orbit Deck. Or True, Orbit. absolutely. And uh, uh, I won't get into it. It's a long story, but I, it's my really close friend uh, who I've known forever who hired me and who owns the brand. So I think um, I would really, I see myself going towards designing my own deck and, and really um, leaning into more of a, a, a real brand that I create or a business side of things. Because in the past two years, uh, finishing school and then working for Portland Gear, uh, a local company here, um, that was actually started off an Instagram page. I've just fallen in love with business and the practice of business and marketing and advertising because it's all stuff that I've been doing for the last umpteen years right. very well. But like business is is exactly what I'm doing just without knowing it. So I'd love to learn more about that and then eventually start my own brand and own deck of cards and clothing and website and you know storefront even maybe. But I just I'd, I think the short answer is I want to, I want to start my own brand. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Mm -hmm. uh, whether you want to get into the story about how you met this very good friend of yours or not, that is my next question for you because, uh, we are going to transition into actually talking about the cards themselves. And I remember you telling me personally this story and the sort of like world around this and this kind of just about this guy we were tossing the disc around uh yep. what's the name of that park i'm blanking council on crest council crest park in portland oregon yes sir uh that's the other thing you're fucking amazing at throwing the frisbee how do you do that uh <laughs> but uh the three cards that you uh brought to me that you wanted to talk about first uh are orbit dealer's grip and anyone worldwide and i wanted to talk about orbit first because you yep. do have a personal connection to that and so How'd you get involved in Orbit? How did you meet Chris? All the fuck. Yeah, yeah. totally. So um, it's actually funny. I I brought up Nick Stumphauser earlier. First internet friend. He's like a brother to me. We talk like every day. Um, Huge conspiracy theorist too, by the way. That's a, I won't, I will not get into that. That is but, a, uh, that is a completely, not only is that a different episode, that's a completely different podcast, baby. Um, it's okay. So going back to me being on YouTube all the time, uh, I came across this channel or this person, um, who named Chris Brown right. and not the felon, just a guy, <laughs> just felon. a normal guy named Chris Brown. And, uh, <laughs> right. he, he would do, he did these crazy videos that were like, um, they were a bit a bit longer, and uh, it was just a really 
clean demonstration of sleight of hand and a little bit of cardistry. It was sort of right around the breach of when cardistry was cardistry. But um, he seemed like a very uh, eclectic person. And um, there's something so cool about, I can't really even describe it now, but it's just, he had that cool factor right. uh, about his videos. And um, I, I remember finding him on Facebook somehow, even though his name is Chris Brown, which right. is, arguably the most normal name ever sure yeah <laughs> um and i remember messaging him in like 2010 and being like i'm fucking your biggest fan i've watched all <laughs> your videos three times and, <laughs> and of course he didn't respond because first of all he's a real adult and i right. was 13 right. <laughs> you know yeah. um and then i get into oh and then he so he starts this brand called orbit um he loves uh space and the idea of the cosmos because his dad sort of instilled that in him when he was a kid very cool um and he designs this deck called the orbit deck and it's just got a, a perfect circle and a little figure of a guy, which is him, uh, on the bottom of the circle. Oh, that's and, him. Yeah. Well, oh. I mean, you know, it's not a picture of him, but it's it's a icon that symbolizes him. Sure, for sure. Okay. I was yeah. like, because I knew that it was there, but I'm like, I didn't realize that was that. Like, I didn't realize nope. that equals him or his persona yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's Chris. Um, anyway, so he starts this deck, and it's a big deal. The cardistry community is like, holy shit, that's a deck that Chris Brown made. Um, and, everyone, you know, Chris Brown's like, See, he's still up here for, I think, a lot of people. Sure. Anyway, uh, it's my freshman year in college, and I get a message from a Chris Brown on oh. Facebook. And I go, what the heck is going on now? And uh, it's it's this longer message. He goes, hey, man. Um, and this is sort of my – I'm sort of, you know, ramping up on right. social media or whatever. And he goes, hey, man, uh, I'm so sorry for not responding to you all those years ago. Um, I've been seeing your stuff, and I'm a big fan. I'd love to send you some cards. Whoa. And I'm like, holy shit, God is literally wanting to send me cards. <laughs> yeah. So, so I respond. I'm like, no no sweat skis. Here's my, uh, here's my address. And he sends me six of the Orbit deck. And, half uh, a brick. As half you, as a brick, as it were. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, no, no, it's all good. <laughs> It's all good. So he's like, yeah, just, you know, post a couple photos or do videos or whatever. And I'm like, of course. Um, we kept talking through the years just and we sort of just become friends um, over over Facebook Messenger and, and Instagram a little bit. Um, and then. I have to back up a little bit because in 2015, I'm sorry, in 2015, I had a martial arts event in uh, Boston and uh I decided on the way back that I would stop in Michigan um, to visit Nick for the first time. First time sure. I'd ever meet Nick. So oh, I, nice. Yeah, yeah. So I met Nick uh, in 2015, spent 11 days with him. And during that time, we were talking about everything. But we were like, hey, who's your you know favorite card artist? Cardist? Um, and he goes, Chris Brown. And I go, no way, me too. He's one of my favorites. And he's like, oh, great, cool. Yeah, I've been watching him forever. And I actually wrote him. He showed me a journal entry that said, I will one day work for Chris Brown. And oh, I go, wow. that's ridiculous because he's Chris Brown. How are you going to ever work for him? You're right. Uh, okay. So fast forward to um, 2017 before the Los Angeles Cardistry Con. Um, Chris adds me and Nick to a group chat on Facebook. And apparently Nick has been getting close with Chris too and says, Chris goes, hey, I don't really know many people in Cardist the Cardistry community because he's a little, he's on the older side. Sure. He's like, he's like 30 something. Hell yeah. The average age of a Cardist today is like, 18 to 24 or whatever. Okay, so right, right. he's a little up there. He's like, Hey, I don't really know anyone in cardistry, but I really want to go to cardistry con. Will you guys room with me? Wow. <laughs> and, uh, we were like, of course, absolutely. Um, and he's like, okay, so I just booked the hotel room and I'm like, 
do we have to pay? And he's like, nah, don't worry about it. It's okay. Wow. He booked us a suite at the Doubletree in downtown Los Angeles. Wow. Um, on the top floor. And we all met there for the first time, uh, meeting Chris for the first time. Um, and it was Nick's first time meeting Chris. And we all immediately, it was just like a family. It Damn, was like, wow. he was the dad. And I mean this like in a real way. He, we looked at him like a father figure. Sure. <laughs> and Nick and I were already like siblings. So it was just a really great awesome awesome time and then uh can i just ask one quick clarifying question i'm sorry sure. to cut you off real quick but you're good is chris he's known for what specifically doing magic or his playing card brand orbit specifically it was magic he's okay. doing youtube magic and i'm not saying it was like dumb little magic videos he would make these like it felt like a skate compilation if you've ever seen like thrash yeah it felt yeah. like that but with just him and cards it was Got awesome you. okay um and that's sort of like nobody had done that at the time, and that's how we became known. Um, so you're now at the Double Tree. You're so we're at the, the Double Tree. Time. We're we're doing the card trick on thing, hanging out, having a great time. Nick and I both realized that we're very close to Chris, and Chris feels similarly. Um, fast forward to December of 2017. I'm in San Francisco for um, I was doing Christmas with my family, and uh, I knew Chris lived in the Bay, so I go, Hey, Chris, want to hang out in San Francisco? And he goes. No doubt. So we meet up in San Francisco and Chris goes, uh, Hey, we're, we're just walking around the pier. And he goes, um, Hey, so I've hired Nick to work uh, on the orbit team. He's just going to work on creating content with my cards. And I go, okay. And he goes, yeah, so that's it. And I thought that was going to lead into like, also I want to hire you. Right. But I, ha- I had to be like, well, hire me also. Right. Because, <laughs> because I'm, I'm the content guy. <laughs> That's um, me. I'm Mr. Content. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, this will work out great. Obviously, I love Nick and I love you. So he's like, oh, okay, sure. I guess I'll hire you. You gave yourself the job. Yeah, I hired myself. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so since then, um, he he paid me for every video I posted. And uh, I was like, well, this is just a great way of getting money. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, I wasn't really thinking about the pay. It was the fact that I was working with my number one all-time favorite cardist. Yeah, no kidding. Um and uh, along alongside that, working with my best friend in cardistry. Sure. So we're, we're this remote team, and we are quickly established as the Orbit crew. And everyone knows us as the Orbit crew now. And it's just a little – it's just that, that same experience uh, that we had in Los Angeles. We're just a big family. And um, I love the deck, and I love Chris Moore for – not just for his deck. His deck's whatever at this point, but <laughs> – in, ter- in, in terms of this, comparatively to like how I feel about him, you okay. know what I mean. Oh, good save there. Yeah, <laughs> Chris, if you're listening, you know what I mean. <laughs> so, um, but yes, so, so the Orbit deck, I I feel very emotionally uh, connected to it because I've known Chris for above ten years now. That's listen. What can I say to that? That's amazing. You know, yeah. that's literally like a little bit of a dream come true. You know, in totally. a lot of ways, big time. Yep. Uh, um, and then the other decks, should I go over those? Yeah, well, deal, so it's Dealer's Grip and what is it right here? Anyone, Anyone worldwide. worldwide. Yeah. So how do you get in, like introduced to those? You know, what's the story there? And then I guess my overall question for you on these three are: if someone wants to pick up these cards and start doing this stuff, yeah. What do you say to that? What's your advice for that? Mm-hmm. And then what do you look for in cards? Because you know you're saying you don't want to pick up a pair of bicycle cards and just start doing this stuff. So what's the difference? How how do you suss out whether a card is going to be a good fit for you? Totally. Well, I'll get, I'll get to that after the two, two brands. Um, so around 2015, around Brooklyn, first ever cardistry con is when these people 
and brands started realizing, oh shit, we can just do our, we can just make a brand and we can just make playing cards. Cause right. obviously the United States playing card company, which prints bicycle takes custom orders. They've been doing that forever. So why not? This, this is how, this is how brands came to be in cardistry. Just why not put in a custom order with a custom design at USPCC and then um, buy it at a bulk price as you do, and then just sell it for a premium price. That's right. how it works. That's business, baby. Um, so oh, that's how these brands. Yeah. <laughs> that's how these brands started coming up, and uh, so Dealer's Grip was actually comprised. I think I mentioned Tobias Levin earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um, God tier guy. Uh, it was Tobias and Oliver, and they're these two Danish guys who um, are. I'm trying to think of like a real world example of what they're like. They're just like. How do, I, how do I say it? The, their style of, of cardistry is so smooth and so unbelievably pleasing to watch that ever, like I would saw off my left arm to be like them. Um, so when, yeah, of course. So Tobias and Oliver made this brand Dealer's Grip and Dealer's Grip is the name of like the starting position for any cardistry move is Dealer's Grip. It's oh, like a, for sure. Like a casino dealer, right? Um, so... Uh, they came out with this deck in 2015, and I was like, I got to have it. Uh, and then Tobias ended up breaking off from Dealer's Grip in 2017 for whatever reason. Um, and so it was just Oliver. And Oliver's this wacky guy, but he's very in tune with fine art and his knowledge of art and everything. And he not only translates that into his moves that he does, he lets – it's it's so – I can't even describe it, but he lets music and um, – paintings and just fine art in general inform how he moves cards For which sure. is a really beautiful thing but also just his designs that he uses on cards uh are just so engaging and and off the wall um, i'm looking at a couple of them right here i'm looking at yeah. their instagram page it's yeah, very yeah. geometric uh yeah. at times the color palettes are very um at least not on the um not on the is it the what's the, what are, what are the, do the do the two sides of a card have different names yeah just back and front's okay uh, what is the so the front being the front the face of the cards are the numbers and the stuff, and that's the front of the card. That's the front, yeah. Okay, so Fa- the, back, the face, the face of the card. So then the back of the card would be like where the, the design goes. Then back design, yeah. So the back design on these, at least you know, uh, very color coordinated, very uh, patternized in a way that they're not always geometric, but they always do have some sort of, it looks like at least on the Instagram page shape similarities. Like I'm looking at one right here that looks like brush strokes that are all of a yep. similar ilk and color pattern. There's yep. this other one here that is just hands that are all red outlines, you know, yeah. um, what's, what's going on with that? Like, is there a, is there a motif that he's following or what's up? Not really. I'm going to go ahead and pull it up too, just so I can, I can kind of give a commentary, I guess. But, um, Uh, is this is this the part of the show where the, no, no, the no. Wi-Fi oh, goes go. down? I got it, okay. I got it. No, he's just he's doing these these decks that n- nobody's ever seen before, and a lot some of these decks got some backlash in terms of like they don't people don't like them because they're not symmetrical or whatever. But I think that's Weird. that's what's so great about them is that they they really just feel like you're looking at a Renaissance painting, and I, that's totally. what I fucking love about them is this they're so expressive and so they're so uniquely Oliver. And that's what I love. That's why I'm drawn to him. Uh, and then the other brand is Anyone Worldwide, which is um, I'm looking them up too. There, I couldn't necessarily suss out which one was their Instagram page, but their uh, their store very interesting because it looks like everything is sold out. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, they must yeah. be pretty damn good cards if well, everything is sold out. Yeah, yeah. So the cardistry community is kind of treated like streetwear and like 
it operates like Supreme, the company. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it's box all logo, about, baby. Well, it's all about the drop and like when it's happening because of the rampant resale market. Sure. I sold. I once sold a deck of cards, um, in 2015. I I got them for free, um, because the guy sent them to me, but I resold them on on uh, eBay for. I think they retailed for eight bucks at the time, which is a steal. Uh, but I sold them. I sold one sealed deck for four hundred and fifty dollars. What? So it's all about it's all about collecting, and you know what? It, like obviously, collecting cards doesn't make you a good cardist, but that's just that's how it is. It's the same that, thing with that's baseball the economy cards and stuff. Of it. Yeah, yeah. So that's why people spend so much money on buying these cards as soon as they drop because they know in six months or a year they can flip these for three or four times or five times the price. Holy crap! Um, so yeah, anyone worldwide kind of capitalized on this whole. Um, exclusivity part of of cardistry they only print to give you some perspective uh or the orbit deck prints twenty three thousand units every time we do a run of cards okay um the average order at the united the united states playing card company is uh i believe 2500 so only okay. 2000 that's 20,000 less than we do and those cards will sell out immediately because you got to think a lot of it is going to wholesale but also when you have seventeen thousand followers like anyone and you drop a deck of cards um people are going to flock to it because anyone is like the most popular playing card brand and everyone wants to be like oliver or i guess everyone wants to be like um tobias and his whole crew um the designs or whatever but i think it's it's the artists behind them in this case for anyone um sure any it's like worldwide I was just, I was just, all I was going to say is it's like akin to like, you know, the, the actual outfit itself might not be, yep. you know, necessarily interesting, but it's Gucci or it's, right. you know, Kanye West. Tyler, the creator. Yeah. Tyler, the creator wore it. ASAP Rocky wore it. ASAP. For sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's sort of like how cardistry is now in terms of selling decks. And, uh, oh, so I, I, I'm attracted to anyone worldwide because it's Tobias Levin, who's one of the first people I saw do cardistry online gotcha. in that fashion. And then uh, the team on anyone is this guy, Nikolai, and this guy, Noel Heath. And they're, I would say they're some of the most creative cards ever. And, I yeah, I want to be like them. I know I'll never be like them, but <laughs> I think if I use their cards, I'll probably be a little closer. <laughs> sure. Well, there you go. I mean, yeah. that's why you get the fucking card. Yeah. Okay. And then, so to get to your question about what decks to use, if you want to get started, really, it doesn't really matter because some of these custom decks that are being sold. So the average price of a deck of cards, uh, actually, this is a a thing I like to ask people. How much do you think, um, go to anyone worldwide's page on Instagram. I'm there. It's it's at anyone. Yeah. It's just if anyone. At anyone. Yep. At anyone. Okay. Yep. I'm there. Okay. Take a look at their decks. How much would you say that that purple deck? How much would you say it retails for? Just this purple deck that I'm looking at right here. Yeah, actually, uh, can you describe it? What What do you describe it for me? Yeah, so what I'm looking at here is a deck of cards that says uh-huh. anyone in white uh, type, white type yep. font, and just the a purple like a deep purple background. So that's what I'm looking at. Uh, I'm going to, and just, or this is for one deck of cards, you're asking. It's just for a single unit. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say that costs 10 bucks. I th- I think it was 15 or 18. Okay. Um, wow. But I mean, think about that, dude. It's not like they made the, the, the design in five minutes. It's Helvetica right. on purple. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's why I'm saying I like this brand because not the designs aren't all that engaging, but they're they're fantastic marketers and just you know they know how to advertise a boring design and make it look real. Like I want all of these decks, even though one of their best selling decks is literally just a black dot on a gray back. Sure, I think you know that I mean? the uh, the you know I think there is something to be said. For the, I guess, simplicity. I'm going to give these guys a little follow right now. Um, I think there is something to be said for the simplicity and the, uh, you know, the the careful, uh, deliberate, like, marking of what it is. Because, you know, it's very bare, but, you know, that has to be done very deliberately. So I think there yeah, is something is. to be said of that. But, like, you compare that to an Orbit card, you know, or a Dealer's Grip card the orbit and the dealer's grip, they got a lot more going on. There's a little bit more to look at. Um, Not to say that one design is quote unquote better than the other. Obviously I'm an orbit fan, but um, (laughs) uh, you know, uh, yeah, for sure, buddy. But um, uh, you know, the regardless, you know, the design is the design. This, anyone, this, anyone worldwide brand, you know, at least based on how these cards are, this could appeal to someone more than a dealer's grip. Um, Well, they're so simple because, the style that anyone worldwide, the people do is it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't rely on an engaging back design to have their cardistry be cool. Their cardistry is so dang blasted good that they could do it with blank cards and still have it be interesting. So it's, they usually, I mean, I think they really just use the deck of cards um, with the designs as simple as they are to be a canvas, like a blank canvas and let the movements that they're doing. Gotcha. And, and not only the movements, just the way they present themselves as people in their videos, in their photos, in their, you know, their whole brand. I think it's just, it's just a blank canvas and their cars are just a vehicle. That's awesome. I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's important to remember, you know, the average person looks at a deck of playing cards and goes, Oh, I'm going to play go fish with this, or I'm going to, you know, play right. war. I'm going to make a sure. deck of cards. But for someone who, is practicing cardistry and making cardistry content. It's not just about the design of the card. It's about how can I use this design to further my own skill set and my own moves. And so that kind of transitions into that last question that I had asked you about. What are you looking for in a card? Because I don't know why I couldn't just pick up a bicycle deck, you know, and just use those. So what, what are we looking for? Yeah. Yeah. So it comes down. The short answer is personal preference. It's whatever you want. Do whatever you want. It's your life. But you can do cardistry with a bicycle deck of cards because um, they're printed on the same stock as some of these designer cards. But um, the difference is these designer companies um, are given creative control in terms of the type of paper and the type of stock and the type of cut. and the finish that are used on the cards. And there, you know, I couldn't name you one certain combination that makes the ultimate deck, but it's all about um, experimenting with those, you know, the cut stock finish in the paper. It's all about um, a combination of of the types of those. Yeah. um, That make a deck. So some decks feel way thinner because they're on a crushed stock. Um, Some decks feel way thicker and they are um, more uh, springy, I guess. Um, just because of the stock and the finish. And it kind of comes down to what kind of cardistry you want to do. If you want to do packet cuts, you want something that as it breaks in um, is going to stay together more. So more of a thicker stock. Um, But if you want to do something, you know, if you want to have the style of doing fans more, then you want a thinner deck that uh, when it breaks in, it won't clump up as much. So um, 
it's yeah it's it really comes down to the artist's style of cardistry sure um but at the end of the day i think the most important part in learning cardistry is that you learn with something that is poker sized um so that would just be a bicycle deck of cards there's bridge size poker size and then anything outside of that is just from a, like a gift shop in a small town you know what i mean but right like, exactly it's all about just like the exact size because that's such a standard in cards um and if you learn on any other thing um and develop like a dependency on that size of deck then you're gonna have real problems when you get into the big boy leagues are you then what then what do you prefer then as your own personal preference are you into a thicker yeah. cut or a thinner cut or what kind of what do you what do you look for it varies um but i i use the orbit deck mostly and that sure that is a really happy medium between thin and thick. It, okay. it can do packet cuts and also uh, looks great in fans and can fan. And when it, it's all about breaking it in, you can never do, you can never do cardistry with a brand new open deck. Oh really? Or at least I can't. Most people can't. Some people are literally insane and can, um, but it's, you really got to break a deck in because it's all about the cards staying together and not dropping things. And it's sure. very hard when they're hot off the press and just, just cut and in the box, they're very slippery and very slidey. Um, so it's really about the longevity and the way in which uh, a deck breaks in and the orbit deck. And this is not a sales plug. The orbit deck, uh, has got that dialed in terms of, um, how they break in. Well, you find, you keep finding a way to, uh, to, to weirdly segue into everything that I've wanted to ask you because I don't have any more questions, <laughs> oh, sweet. Sean. So I wanted to ask you. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about or say that we didn't get to? I feel like we kind of ran, run the gamut, run the jewels on all this. (laughs) No, I think, I think I'll take every opportunity I can get to say this. Um, but just fall in love with something or a person, but at this point, something, you know what I mean? Like do find something you love. It could be fucking crocheting or, you know, learning how to cut bark chips for playgrounds, but you find something that you love and just use the internet to like, really fuel that because all that you don't have to pay any money unless you know i guess you got to pay the wi-fi bill but you don't have to pay any money to learn something nowadays right right can you imagine dude the renaissance era wanting (laughs) to learn how to like build a house you got to go first of all you got to find someone that knows and then they're probably (laughs) going to try to sell it to you you can just google hey how do i build a goddamn house right yeah you Um, can you can it would be so like to even like think that you could like self publishing now is so easily like as far as like books are concerned. Totally. You used to have to put fucking blocks in the right spot so that you could use the word penis in your book. Like, think about that. You're totally right. Renaissance era, fuck it. We live in the digital <laughs> Renaissance era, baby. Totally. But you're you're hundred percent right. You find that thing that you love, you yep. follow it to the end of the earth. Yeah. I mean, it sounds so cliche to say, but like follow your dreams, dude. <laughs> I mean, really, it's it's just, you know, I I think about this a lot and maybe that's just because I got a big ego, but I would I think about nine year old me just starting in magic and having a conversation with him and what he would say to me now. Sure. I think he would be completely blown out of the water that I'm at where I'm at right now in cardistry and magic, because I remember when I was nine, I wanted to be that guy. Sure. I wanted to be the dude that people know for doing a certain thing, for being different. And now that I am that guy, I, you know, it just, I feel not only accomplished, but so, with somewhat of a responsibility to encourage others to be like that. Because every it is possible. You just got to just put your nose to the grindstone and figure it out. Nothing's easy. And right. I think that's a question I answer a lot. People ask me um, in terms of building an audience or building a brand, how do you do it? 
And the fact of the matter is you just got to, you just got to suck it up and work. And you got to, you got to hear the word no a lot. And I hate that it sounds like I'm turning into like a Gary Vaynerchuk type (laughs) speech right now. You know what I mean? But like, it's really just about, um, prioritizing yourself and what you want and not stopping for anybody or compromising uh, your goals. And it's not going to happen overnight or next week or next month or in two years, but just stick with it uh, and um, just be passionate about something. That's awesome. Thank you so much for saying that. Um, Before we sign off officially, first of all, Folks, we made it to another end of another episode. I'm always amazed that we make it to the end of the episode. I never think we're going to, and then we end up at the end, and I'm like, holy fuck. But, Sean, is there anything that you want to plug? I know you know these are very strange, weird times as sure. far as like going outside is concerned, and there's a lot yep. of you know problems out there, but... Is there anything you want to plug, you know, while you're here, while you got a, you know, a captive audience? Sure. Um, no, I just, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm great. just thankful to be here. Uh, I just, I guess in these times specifically, I just prioritize knowledge and learning more sure. than don't, don't make any decision or don't go out and do something without reading at least something. I educate yourself and talk to the right people, um, about the situation at hand. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Sean Ulashin, ladies and gentlemen. That's me. You can follow this show, Instagram, at my favorite underscore podcast on Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at my favorite pod. It's where you can stay up to date with the show. Sean, thank you so much for being here, my friend. My goodness. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for thank- having me. Listen, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, yeah. That's the that's what I want to go out on. So thanks for uh, listening, yes. and uh, goodbye. See ya. Uh-